0: Harry Potter. Oh,
1: Harry Potter! Harry Potter. 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 Harry
0: Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter.
1: Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half-Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Sam. And today is all about the one, the only, Draco Malfoy.
0: da, 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 da. <laughs> I'm sure you all could have guessed Draco. Yes. So yeah, it should be pretty interesting. I think we've kind of been waiting to do a character profile on him for a while now. Just wanted the right time to present itself. And now, since yeah. we are halfway through Half-Blood Prince, it's about time.
1: Honestly, I've been waiting for this character profile because it's so interesting to me how he could literally be like a little snot who I hate most of the series, right? Mm-hmm. But somehow I don't like completely dislike him.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes it's a little concerning the, the fact that, you know, so many people love him and he wasn't supposed to be a lovable character. He's supposed to be like a hateable character.
1: He's actually terrible.
0: But yeah, I felt the same way. I I was ready for this because there's a lot to talk about and people have a wide range of opinions when it comes to him, so should be interesting. But first, let us dive into our drink of the week, which is called the Draco. And we got this recipe from the backyard bartender. And this is what they have to say about this cocktail. I don't know about you, but when I think of a Draco-esque cocktail, I immediately think of a martini. But it couldn't be just a martini, that's boring. One night, while mixing up a test batch of Luna's for the roommate, I had a brilliant idea. Pickle juice. I had a jar of pickle juice tucked away in the back of the fridge, hoping that someday at some party I could convince some of my braver friends to do a pickleback shot. Into the mix, the pickle juice went. And out came a cocktail that was just like Draco, smooth, sleek, and a little bit nasty. Oh, gosh. So this cocktail is, you can either make, you know how to make a martini. So it's either gin or vodka. I'm using vodka because that's what I have. Then a half ounce of vermouth and a half ounce of pickle juice. Then you stir or shake all the ingredients together with ice and strain into a martini glass. And you're supposed to drink it deeply and think evil thoughts. I don't have to think evil thoughts to know that I hate this cocktail. <laughs> I already have had a pickle juice martini before in the past. It seems that the person I was with at the time had the same idea as this person the backyard bartender had. And I hated it then and I hate it now. <laughs> so, uh,
1: Yeah, I hate pickles, actually. I never eat them. Every, well, that's not true. Every once in a while, I'll try one because my family all loves them, and they'll make me to see if my taste buds have changed, but no, they never change. This is actually my Everest. This is disgusting. (laughs) See, I don't
0: mind pickles. Like, I don't eat them, like, straight out of the jar like my mom does, like a freak, but, you know, I'll have them on a burger on the side of a sandwich or something, and it'll be fine, but... I like if I'm gonna have a martini I would probably just do either a lemon martini or sometimes I'm in the mood for a dry martini but never with pickle juice like that's just it's just fucking disgusting someone out there probably would like this cocktail someone listening might like this
1: cocktail if you're a big fan of pickles but neither of us are so I'm sure they would I mean I know Natalie who was on our podcast a while ago I know she's a fan of the pickleback shot
0: oh no no no
1: Yeah. I'm not. I've done one. It's not my thing. My friend Megan likes them, too. Yeah. Well, to each their own. Someone will like this. I do think it's perfect. I do think it's perfect for Draco. You know, not only do I think a martini does represent him, right? Because he comes from a family who thinks they're super classy. So I could totally see Narcissa (laughs) kicking back on the couch with a dry martini. Yeah. That she makes Dobby make. But... Yeah, no, I I think this is actually a perfect drink for him, because while some people might enjoy it, other people it leaves a pretty sour taste in their mouth, mm-hmm. and that's just his character. Plus, the pickle juice is green, which... Slytherin, evil,
0: it all kind of yeah. ties into how we associate Draco Malfoy.
1: This is kind of a good transition into our poll questions. We brought those back this week. We had a couple of them, because, you know, I feel like a lot of people base their opinions on Draco based on the fact that he's written as an attractive character. Yeah. And then, of course, we get Tom Felton's portrayal, and he's kind of hot, so. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to play a clip of that song so people don't think that we're crazy. Yeah,
0: well, maybe we just, like, we'll link it one day to our recording. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. When we post, Okay. Yeah.
1: It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> so click in the show notes. <laughs> it's still out there, it. I don't know. I haven't heard it in a long time, but I'll find it and I'll link it. I listened to it, honestly, the other day. Okay. okay. <laughs> so our first question we asked was, Draco Malfoy, bad to the bone or misunderstood? We got a lot of feedback for this, not only voting-wise, but also commentary-wise that I loved. So on Facebook... said bad to the bone, and 90% said misunderstood. Okay. So pretty much a landslide. There were also some really good comments. So one person commented, where's the whiny bitch option?
0: (laughs) Don't say one person. We know who commented that.
1: Yeah, my dad commented (laughs) that. (laughs) Someone else said, as a child, he thought what his family taught him was absolutely correct. As an adolescent, it seems... Like he was torn between pleasing his father and seeing how insane and evil it all was. By Half-Blood Prince, I pitied him. Yep. Which I'd have to agree That's with. That's kind of how
0: I feel about him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. He acted how he was raised to act. Later, I believed he saw the error in his ways and began to ease up on his openly horrid ways. But then, I mean, they go on to talk about the Cursed Child, which we're not really trying to get into. <laughs> we um, well,
0: We might mention it a bit, but Emily and I kind of like don't... All- stan with the cursed child canon it just all is Mm -mm. it's not our favorite
1: i mean i'd like to think i'd like to think that he did end up working cohesively with the trio later in life but i kind of think he just went on to do his own thing yeah i
0: kind of feel like you know sometimes cuts just go too deep and yes he did save them once and that is great but i kind of feel like that's as far as his redemption arc should go
1: yeah. But then it's interesting from someone with a different point of view. Someone commented, with him it's genetic. I can't believe how outvoted I am. I thought maybe 60-40, but not that. Yeah. I get that. And then there was a lot of people for that said poor parenting, which I think... It's valid. Goes a long way. On Twitter, 97% said misunderstood. Good lord. And 3% said bad to the bone. And then we have some replies both bad to the bone because he was raised that way. Someone said Draco daddy issues mouthwash. (laughs) True. All right. So then on Instagram, it was 87% misunderstood and 13% bad to the bone. So that's a little more of people who thought it could have been bad to the bone. Looking back, I feel like these options were a little biased
0: and because I don't really feel 100% on either of them.
1: Yeah, I actually do feel pretty adamant that he was misunderstood, just because you kinda have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like I've said before, yeah, he was bratty and he was mean and everything, but I think it really comes down to his parents, and you can't really fault him for the mistakes of them and how they raised him. I think he did choose later in life. He saved Harry's life, right? So I think that's like he's trying to not be completely bad. Yeah, but I still feel like you can't
0: really call that. You can't call that misunderstood, though. Like his whole childhood, he believed what he was taught by his parents, which obviously we know is bigotry and basically racism and hatred towards people who aren't like him. And he believed that. I think he still believed that in a little bit when he got older, but he was developing his own opinions as he was growing into a man, and we see this in Half-Blood Prince, but he makes his choices. So I really don't think you could call him misunderstood when he is consciously choosing to act a certain way, even after he knows that he maybe shouldn't act a certain way. Yes, he saves people, and I think you know he has some redeeming qualities there. It shows that he has... Some mercy for people, and he might feel sorry for the actions he's done, but I don't think he was ever really misunderstood. I don't know.
1: I mean, he came from a place of abuse, so I'm not justifying his actions in any way, but in a way, if you look at it as he was a kid who was abused, how do you expect him to then turn and act? I don't know, maybe that's the way he's a bit misunderstood, right? He came from a really kind of terrible childhood. Did he get whatever he wanted? For the most part, yeah, but that doesn't equal a good childhood in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people in this story and in real life come from really bad childhoods and some of them turn out great and they treat their children completely different than they were treated and then some of them turn into serial killers. And do we call the serial killers misunderstood nine times out of ten? No, we don't. We say they knew what they were doing. They knew they were killing people. Was he killing people?
1: I mean, he was just, like, making fun of people. I think mean, that's completely different.
0: I'm just making a point with, like, serial killers having a bad childhood and he knew what he was doing was bad.
1: But he didn't. He didn't think it I think it was after bad. a certain point he does. I don't know. I feel like we could literally go at this all day, and I, which I think is the beauty of his character because, you know, as – Somebody, I do think he's misunderstood, and I think that's kind of, like, the, the beauty of this is you can have all of your opinions, right? Like, my opinion on Snape, which I know a lot of people in the fandom don't have. So, yeah. All right, well, the next question was an office-related question. Draco Malfoy, hot or not? On Facebook, 62% said hot and 38% said not But someone did say distinctions need to be made, Draco Malfoy or Tom Felton. And yes, valid, but also I think that he was like perfectly cast for the most part. Yeah, I think, you know, just to answer the question,
0: we're talking about Draco Malfoy. But, you know, just take the full aspect of the character into consideration. And yes, physically, when we're talking about him, we're thinking of Tom Felton's portrayal of him. And yes, I do think it was the best casting they could have done.
1: It's like the same way if we asked Hermione hot or not. I mean, your mind's going to jump to Emma Watson. Right. But again, I think she was okayly cast just because of the comments we've made in the past of how they could have like teased her hair up more. If they would have done that, I think she would have been perfect. If she would have cut those fake buck teeth (laughs) the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So then on Instagram, 6040, uh 60 being the hot. And then on Twitter, it was 56 to 44, but that one was flipped. So not as many people thought that mm-hmm. he was hot. So what do you think, Sam?
0: I I am uh I'm more of like a dark hair person. Yeah, Draco doesn't do it for me. Just not even a little bit. Maybe when I was younger, I had a little bit of a crush on him, but he just no, I'm, I'm not attracted to Draco and especially just when you take into consideration his, his character, like how he treats other people, not what I'm looking for. So that's that's <laughs> a no for me dog. but you know, Tom Felton ages well. Now he, I think that he's cute, but Draco, no, no.
1: yeah. Cause now he's he doesn't have to bleach his hair, and you know in his contract he had to sign that he wasn't allowed to get a tan. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That is funny. Well, he definitely uh, is all tanned up now. Yeah, I think he's hot. I've 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 always thought that um, I had a crush on him when I was younger, and that's kind of stayed throughout. Okay, but not as hot as Ron. Not as hot as Ron. No. <laughs> My attraction to Rupert Grant, I think, is just very weird, so. Yeah, it just goes deep. I don't know. It can't. <laughs> Those bonds run deep. I don't know. I just, I really think, I have a lot of empathy for the character of Draco Malfoy. And, I, you know, I really don't understand why, because usually I'm never on the side of the bully. And I'm not when he speaks to people and the way he speaks to people. But I really feel for him, I think, just because his dad is such a prick.
0: yeah his dad is also just a fucking loser and he i feel like he grew up believing that his dad was the greatest and then finally he starts realizing oh my dad is actually a fucking loser and now i have to try to step up to like redeem our whole family and that's when i feel for him just when he's just basically in half-blood prince is the only time i feel sorry for draco and i hate that i feel sorry for him (laughs) basically
1: yeah i mean i hate it too i won't lie it's kind of my equivalent of like I hate that I felt sorry for Snape cause I, I yeah. yeah that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother time. Yeah. All right, so some background on Draco Malfoy. This is from an article that was originally published on Pottermore, RIP. <laughs> Which, I, but I do like that there's like an archive. Yeah, know? we can still dig and find some good stuff. So Draco Malfoy grew up as an only child. The magnificent. Mansion of Malfoy Manor is in Wiltshire, which had been in his family's possession for many centuries. From the time when he could talk, it was made clear that he was triply special: firstly as a wizard, secondly as a pureblood, and thirdly as a member of the Malfoy family. He was raised in an atmosphere of regret that the Dark Lord had not succeeded in taking command of the wizarding world, although he was prudently reminded that such sentiments ought not be expressed outside the small circle of the family and their close friends, or his dad might get in trouble. In childhood, Draco associated mainly the pureblood children of his father's ex-Death Eater cronies, and therefore arrived at Hogwarts with a small gang of friends already made, including Theodore Knott, Vincent Crabbe, and Goyle.
0: And like every other child of Harry Potter's age, Draco had obviously heard stories of the boy who lived, and many theories had been in circulation for years as to how Harry had survived and which should have been a lethal attack, and one of the most persistent was that Harry himself was a great dark wizard. The fact that he had been removed from the wizarding community seemed to wishful thinkers to support this view, and Draco's father... Lucius Malfoy was one of those who subscribed most eagerly to the theory. It was comforting to think that he, Lucius, might be in for a second chance of world domination should this Potter boy prove to be another and greater pureblood champion. It was therefore, in the knowledge that he was doing nothing of which his father would disapprove, and in the hope that he might be able to relay some interesting news home, that Draco Malfoy first offered Harry Potter his hand when he realized who he was on the Hogwarts Express. Harry's refusal of Draco's friendly overtures and the fact that he had already formed allegiance to Ron Weasley, whose family is the antithesis to the Malfoys, turns Malfoy against him at once. Draco realized correctly that the wild hopes of the ex-Death Eaters, that Harry Potter was another and better Voldemort, are completely unfounded, and their mutual enmity is assured from that point.
1: Much of Draco's behavior at school is modeled on the most impressive person he knew, his father and he faithfully copied his cold and contemptuous manner to everyone outside of his inner circle. Having recruited second-man henchmen, Crabbe and Goyle, on the train to school, the less physically imposing Malfoy used them as a combination of henchmen and bodyguards throughout his six years of school life. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just picturing Draco like on the phone with his dad and like Crab Goyle walking in front of him like he's like a movie star. <laughs> so
0: then, they've got their like one earpiece in and one side in the black suits yeah. on. He honestly yeah. acts like he is a movie star. He's the biggest prick ever.
1: He kind of does. I, yeah. I'm I got, uh, He just he really confuses me because I do feel like he's misunderstood but then I hate him. <laughs> so it's just like it's it's like so hard i do feel empathy toward him i do i really do yeah it's
0: really just like at a certain point he becomes pitiable but up till then i hate him
1: yeah and like i'm really not for like spanking your kids but he was like the one child that like deserve he deserved a spanking he needs a smack in the mouth yeah i mean he needs some tough love (laughs) all right anyways
0: Draco's feelings for Harry were always based in a great part on envy. Though he never sought fame, Harry was unquestionably the most talked about and admired person at the school, and this naturally jarred with a boy who had been brought up to believe that he occupied an almost royal position within the wizarding community. What was more, Harry was most talented at flying, the one skill at which Malfoy had been confident he would outshine all of the other first years. The fact that the potions master Snape had a soft spot for Malfoy and despised Harry was only slight compensation.
1: Draco resorted to many different dirty tactics in his quest to get under Harry's skin or discredit him in the eyes of others, including, but not limited to, telling lies about him to the press, (laughs) manufacturing (laughs) insulting badges to wear about him, attempting to curse him from behind, and dressing up as one of the dementors to which Harry had shown himself particularly vulnerable. However, Malfoy had his own moments of humiliation at Harry's hands, notably on the Quidditch pitch, literally every time he got on a broom, (laughs) and never forget the shame of being turned into a bouncing ferret by um, Mad-Eye Moody, but actually Barty Crouch Jr. While many people thought that Harry Potter, who had witnessed the Dark Lord's rebirth, was a liar or a fantasist, Draco Malfoy was only one of the few who knew that Harry was telling the truth his own father had felt his dark mark burn and had flown to rejoin the dark lord witnessing harry and voldemort's graveyard duel so i mean that is kind of an interesting point that while everyone thought harry was a liar draco totally knew he was telling the truth
0: oh yeah and he didn't mind you know telling people that harry was a liar as well
1: probably really enjoyed that actually
0: (laughs) And the discussions of these events at Malfoy Manor gave rise to conflicting sensations in Draco Malfoy. On the one hand, he was thrilled by the secret knowledge that Voldemort had returned, and that what his father had always described as the family's glory days were back once more. On the other, the whispered discussions about the way that Harry had again evaded the Dark Lord's attempts to kill him caused Draco further twinges of anger and envy. Much as the Death Eaters disliked Harry as an obstacle and as a symbol, he was discussed seriously as an adversary, whereas Draco was still relegated to the status of schoolboy by Death Eaters who met at his parents' house. Though they were on opposing sides of the gathering battle, Draco felt envious of Harry's status. He cheered himself up by imagining Voldemort's triumph, seeing his family honored under a new regime, and he himself feted at Hogwarts as the important and impressive son of Voldemort's second-in-command.
1: School life took an upturn in Draco's fifth year. Although forbidden to discuss at Hogwarts what he had heard at home, Draco took pleasure in the petty triumphs. He was a prefect, and Harry was not, and Dolores Umbridge seemed to loathe Harry quite as much as he did. He became a member of Umbridge's inquisitorial squad and made it his business to try and discover what Harry and a gang of disparate students were up to as they formed and trained in secret as a forbidden organization aka Doubledore's army however at the very moment of triumph when draco had cornered harry and his comrades and when it seemed that harry must be expelled by umbrage harry slipped through his fingers worse still harry managed to thwart lucius malfoy's attempts to kill him and draco's father was captured and sent to azkaban so quite the fall from grace yeah and
0: this is where draco's world now falls apart from having been as he and his father had believed on the cusp of authority and prestige just as they had never known before his father was taken from the family home and imprisoned far away in the fearsome wizard prison guarded by dementors which honestly like it can't be that bad since voldemort you know controls the dementors but
1: yeah i think the worst part was probably just the fact that like now his name is just smeared right yeah he literally ruined, like, the reputation he tried so hard to build for himself.
0: True. But I think you can't, like, think that he has to be suffering that much in prison. It's just, like, now your reputation is shut.
1: Not in his nice mansion.
0: Right. <laughs> Lucius had been Draco's role model and hero since birth. Now he and his mother were pariahs among Death Eaters. Lucius was a failure and discredited in the eyes of the furious Lord Voldemort. Draco's existence had been cloistered and protected until this point. He had been a privileged boy with little to trouble him, assured of his status in the world and with his head full of petty concerns. Now, with his father gone and his mother distraught and afraid, he had to assume a man's responsibilities.
1: Worse was to come. Voldemort, seeking to punish Lucius Malfoy still further for the botched capture of Harry, demanded that Draco perform a task so difficult that he would very much certainly fail like 100% Draco can't do this so as we all know he was meant to murder Dumbledore and Draco was left on his own with the initiative he had to figure it out which I mean again he's 16 we have to keep that in mind he's 16 and Voldemort because he's pissed at Lucius Malfoy and because he's just this evil he's making a 16 year old kill one of the most powerful wizards in the world like it's not gonna happen oh
0: and by the way if you don't kill him you're gonna die
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So either way, like, you're not going to win in this
0: scenario. You're either going to die trying to kill Dumbledore or you're not going to kill him. And I'm going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. So Draco is super mad at the world that seemed to have turned on his father and accepted membership into the Death Eaters and agreed to try to perform the murder that Voldemort wanted of Dumbledore. And at this early stage, full of desire and revenge to return his father into Voldemort's favor, Draco barely comprehended what he was being asked to do. All he knew was that Dumbledore represented everything his imprisoned father disliked. Draco managed easily to convince himself that he, too, thought the world would be a better place without the headmaster around whom was the opposition of Voldemort, like, the only one that Voldemort was afraid of.
1: Yeah. (sighs) Enthralled to the idea of himself as a real Death Eater, obviously something he's wanted since he was a kid, Draco set off for Hogwarts with a burning sense of purpose. Gradually, however, he found his task was much more difficult than he had anticipated, And after he had come close to accidentally killing two other people instead of Dumbledore, Mm -hmm. his nerve began to fail. With the threat of harm to his family and himself hanging over him, he began to crumble under the pressure. The ideas that Draco had had about himself and his place in the world were disintegrating. All his life, he had idolized a father who advocated violence and was not afraid to use it himself. And now that his son discovered in himself a distaste for murder, he felt it being a shameful feeling. Even so, he could not free himself from his conditioning. He repeatedly refused the assistance of Severus Snape because he was afraid Snape would attempt to steal his glory. That's like a really powerful paragraph that J.K. Rowling gave us right there.
0: Yeah. It's an insight into how he wrestled with this.
1: Yeah, because, like, could you imagine being taught that the wrong way is the right way, right? That, like, you got to stay on top. You got to do whatever you have to do to stay on top. And then think that you're that way. Treat people like absolute dog shit the 95% of your life. And then start to discover maybe I'm not in the right place. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Yeah.
0: Something about this feels a little off to me. Like maybe I shouldn't be
1: yeah. trying to kill people. Like Maybe, yeah, I look like death right now <laughs> because I'm so full of guilt and shame. But I don't understand why I'm full of guilt and shame. And stress. It's got to be really confusing yeah. for a person.
0: But Voldemort and Snape underestimated Draco. He proved adept at occlumency, the magical art of repelling attempts to read the mind which was essential for the undercover work he had undertaken. After two doomed attempts on Dumbledore's life, Draco succeeded in his ingenious plan to introduce a whole group of Death Eaters into Hogwarts, with the result that Dumbledore was, indeed, killed, though not by Draco's hand. Even when faced with a weak and wandless Dumbledore, Draco found himself unable to deliver the final blow, because in spite of himself, he was touched by Dumbledore's kindness and pity for his would-be killer. Snape subsequently covered for Draco, lying to Voldemort about Draco lowering his wand prior to his own arrival at the top of the Astronomy Tower. Snape emphasized Draco's skill in introducing the Death Eaters into the school and cornering Dumbledore for him, Snape, to kill.
1: Oh, God. Okay. I'm getting emotional just thinking about that. And, like, I'm thinking about having, how we're going have to have to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> I, just,
0: I know. I know. I mean...
1: I'm not ready for it. I'm already getting emotional. I,
0: I really have to respect Snape's move here. I mean, he is projecting, basically, an innocent child student who really didn't want to, at the end, really didn't want to kill Dumbledore. And he's following through with what Dumbledore asked him to do, which Snape really didn't want to do.
1: Yeah, he's protecting a kid who got in way over his head. And I think that that kind of describes Draco the best. He's a kid who's in way over his head. Right. As a child, he had to live up to the expectations of his father. Then when he had the chance to prove himself, couldn't do it. He failed. Yeah. And, you know, not only does he have to deal with now the Malfoys are a disgrace to the wizarding world... But also the fact that, like, he's a failure. And while but, Snape did cover for you him, know, that's gonna... They still killed Dumbledore,
0: so he's, his plan still worked. It just wasn't him who did it.
1: Yeah, but I think that, like, internally ate him alive. Because he, th- he has to think about that all the time. I also kind of feel like he'd be relieved, though, that he actually didn't have to do it. Oh, for sure, probably, that he didn't have to do it. Yeah. But probably scared that Voldemort's gonna expect that again. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what, what he's eating
0: up about in the seventh book, is the fact that he's going to have to kill somebody with Voldemort watching.
1: Right. Yeah. So, his dad was sh- freed from Azkaban shortly after, and the family was allowed to return to Malfoy Manor with their lives. However, they were now completely discredited from their dreams of the highest status under Voldemort's new regime. The Malfoys found themselves in the lowest ranks of the Death Eaters. Weakenings and failures, and they were basically treated like shit by Voldemort. (laughs) Yeah. He used their house as, like, a stakeout. That's pretty much all they were to him. Yeah. From that point on. Like a headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. Draco's changed, yet still conflicted personality revealed itself in his actions during the remainder of the war between Voldemort and those who were trying to stop him. Although Draco had not rid himself of the hope of returning his family to their former high position... His inconveniently awakened conscience. (laughs) Inconveniently. Inconveniently awakened conscience. Like, damn it. Why do I have a conscience now? (laughs) Now I have to be nice. (laughs) Damn it. It led him to try half-heartedly, perhaps, but arguably as best as he could, given the circumstances, to save Harry from Voldemort when the former was captured and dragged into Malfoy Manor. During the final battle at Hogwarts, however, Malfoy made yet another attempt to capture Harry and thereby save his parents' prestige and possibly their lives. Whether he could have brought himself to actually hand over Harry is a, mute, a moot point. I suspect that, as his attempted murder of Dumbledore, he would have again found the reality of bringing another person's death much more difficult in practice than in theory.
0: Yeah, yeah I definitely
1: totally agree with that.
0: Then Draco survived Voldemort's siege of Hogwarts because Harry and Ron saved his life. And following the battle, his father evaded prison by providing evidence against fellow Death Eaters, helping to ensure the God. capture of many of Lord Voldemort's followers who had fled into hiding. Like, He's obviously Lucy is going to do snake. that. Such a snake. Yeah, obviously.
1: He's such a snake. He's looking out like, for number one. Definition.
0: He's a definition of a bitch. <laughs> like, he he really is. Does He's a whiny care. bitch. It, <laughs> Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. (laughs) The events of Draco's late teens forever changed his life. He had the beliefs with which he had grown up challenged in the most frightening way. He had experienced terror and despair, seen his parents suffer for their allegiance, and had witnessed the crumblings of all that his family had believed in. People whom Draco had been raised or else had learned to hate, such as Dumbledore, had offered to help him and shown him kindness and harry potter had given him his life after the events of the second wizarding war lucius found his son as affectionate as ever but refusing to follow the same old pure blood line
1: draco married the younger sister of a fellow slytherin astoria who had gone through a similar though less violent and frightening conversion from pure blood ideals to a more tolerant life view was felt by Narcissa and Lucius to be something of a disappointment as a daughter-in-law. They had high hopes of a girl whose family featured on the Sacred 28, which was the pure-blood families that were left, I would assume. But as Astoria refused to raise their grandson, Scorpius, in the belief that muggles were scum, family gatherings were often fraught with tension. Which I would assume would happen anyway. I can't really see Narcissa and Lucius being, like, welcoming in-laws of anybody. Yeah,
0: no. They're kind of like the Dursleys in that respect. They're never going to think anyone is good enough for their son because he's their son. Yeah, even though Lucius, like, kind of hates him. But. <laughs> yeah, treats him like shit. But that's, that's his love language. <laughs> so J.K. Rowling had some thoughts about Draco and they are as following. When the series begins, Draco is, in almost every way, the archetypal bully. With the unquestioning belief in his own superior status he has imbibed from his pure-blood parents, he initially offers Harry friendship on the assumption that the offer needs only to be made to be accepted. The wealth of his family stands in contrast to the poverty of the Weasleys. This, too, is a source of pride to Draco, even though the Weasleys' blood credentials are identical to his own. Everybody recognizes Draco because everybody has known somebody like him. Such people's beliefs in their own superiority can be infuriating, laughable, or intimidating depending on the circumstances in which one meets them. Draco succeeds in provoking all of
1: these feelings in Harry, Ron, and Hermione at one time or another. My British editor questioned the fact that Draco was so accomplished at Occlumency, which Harry, for all his ability in producing a Patronus so young, never mastered. I argued that it was perfectly consistent with Draco's character that he would find it easy to shut down emotion, to compartmentalize, and to deny essential parts of himself. Well, that's powerful. Yeah. Dumbledore tells Harry at the end of Order of the Phoenix, it is an essential part of his humanity that he can feel such pain. With Draco, I was attempting to show that the denial of pain and the suppression of inner conflict can only lead to a damaged person who is much more likely to inflict damage on other people. Amen.
0: Yeah, that. I mean, I think she won that argument, obviously. Then Draco never realizes that he becomes, for the better part of a year, the true owner of the Elder Wand. It is as well that he does not, partly because the Dark Lord is skilled in legitimacy and would have killed Draco in a heartbeat if he had an inkling of the truth, but also because his latent conscience, now standing. Draco remains prey to all the temptations that he has been taught to admire, violence and power among them. I pity
1: Draco, just as I felt sorry for Dudley. Being raised by either the Malfoys or the Dursleys would have been a very damaging experience, and Draco undergoes dreadful trials as a direct result of his family's misguided principles. However, the Malfoys do have a saving grace. They love each other. Draco is motivated quite as much by fear of something happening to his parents as himself, while Narcissa risks everything when she lies to Voldemort at the end of the Deathly Hollows and tells him that Harry is dead, merely so that she can get her son.
0: And for all of this, Draco remains a person of dubious morality in the seven published books, and I have often had cause to remark on how unnerved I have been by the number of girls who fell for this particular fictional character. Same. (laughs) Although I do not discount the appeal of Tom Felton, who plays Draco brilliantly in the films and, ironically, is about the nicest person you could meet— draco has all the dark glamour of the anti-hero girls are very apt to romanticize such people all of this left me in the unenviable position of pouring cold common sense on (laughs) ardent readers daydreams as i told them rather severely that draco was not concealing a heart of gold under all that sneering and prejudice (laughs) and that no he and harry were not destined to end up best friends
1: or lovers for that canon. Yeah. <laughs> I, or that lack of canon, I guess. The dreary. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I imagine that Draco grew up to lead a modified version of his father's existence. Independently wealthy without any need to work, Draco in- inhabits Malfoy Manor with his wife and son. I see in his hobbies further confirmation of his dual nature, the collection of dark artifacts harks back to his family history even though he keeps them in glass cases and does not use them however his strange interest in alchemical manuscripts from which he never attempts to make a philosopher's stone hints at a wish for something other than wealth perhaps the wish to become a better man i have high hopes that he will raise scorpius to be much kinder and more tolerant malfoy than he was in his own youth jericho had many surnames before i settled on malfoy at various times in the earliest drafts, he is smart, sphinx, or spungeon. Oh, I really wish she would have made it spungeon. Draco Spungeon. His Christian name comes from a constellation, the dragon, and yet his wand core is of unicorn. This is symbolic. There is, after all, and at-risk-of-rekindling unhealthy fantasies, some unextinguished good <laughs> at the heart of Draco. I mean, I, again, I think it, he's a conflicting character. I mean, like I said in the beginning, I think he is a prick. And I think he probably still is a prick. I do feel sorry for him because I think that he is a character that struggles with a lot of things, as all the characters struggle with a lot of things. But would I want to be his friend and end up with him? Absolutely not. No. 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 I do think he raises... Like, that's probably my problem with... Cursed Child, but also the redeeming factor of Cursed Child is the fact that I like Scorpius. And, you know, he's the opposite of Malfoy, which means he was probably raised with a lot more compassion. Right.
0: And J.K. Rowling, obviously, you know, was correct in her prediction because she wrote it that (laughs) Scorpius would be raised to be a better Malfoy and... As much as I, like, don't want to talk about Cursed Child, this is where we mainly see Draco's redemption as an adult and where he's stepped away from the ideals of his father, though he still is, I'm sure, regarded by a lot of people as a pompous ass. He does work with the trio and at one point even offers Harry parenting advice. So, (laughs) you know, the, the bridges have been built, but for the sake of our podcast, I feel like we'd focus more on the main seven books yeah. and in these books he has a couple redeeming moments but other than that he is uh, to me he kind of remains the same like he's looking out for himself. He does extend a hand to Harry at one point because like honestly I feel like it's when you know you have a toy that you love and someone else tries to play with it, you're like, hey, that's my toy. So I feel like in this moment when Voldemort is trying to kill Harry, he's like, actually, I don't want you to take away (laughs) Harry
1: because I actually enjoy our mutual hatred of each other. Yeah, he's such a multi-sided character. And I think she really gave some really good insight when she gave her opinions, just with that big paragraph that like, boom, hits you right in the face, as we said. I don't know. And it is really problematic, though, that girls are, like, so apt to romanticize such people of dark glamour, as she puts it.
0: Yeah. It's like when you have a crush on a bad boy. This is the actual definition of falling for a bad boy. Right. It doesn't just walk the walk. He talks the talk. Yeah.
1: He is very, very mean while he is at school, at least. We don't really know how he is after school. But... I mean, even if you just look at the way that he treats Hermione, I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about the way that Draco Malfoy probably treats women.
0: Yeah. I mean, we see it in Pansy Parkinson a lot. He, like, lets her baby him, and then he treats her like shit whenever he talks to her. Yeah. So, yeah. But let's talk about some things that maybe people don't know about Draco. Yeah. So... One thing is that Draco's middle name is actually his father's name. So his name is Draco Lucius Malfoy.
1: His wand also plays a huge significance, as J.K. Rowling kind of hinted at in the paragraphs that we just read, because um, she could have easily made his wand core dragon heartstring, as his name means dragon. But his wand carries a thematic significance because his is hawthorn and unicorn hair. According to Rowling's own writings on Draco, the unicorn hair was meant to reflect the idea that even Draco has a good side to him. but also from Ollivander's notes, wands made of Hawthorne tend to be suited for wizards who either have great conflict in themselves or who are going through tumultuous times in their lives. They are also tricky wands to master, calling for a wizard with proven magical talent. Hmm.
0: We also learn, though this is in Cursed Child, that... Astoria, Draco's wife, was cursed. For whatever reason, Astoria grew disillusioned with her pure blood family's belief in magical supremacy and decided that she would not raise her child with Draco to be prejudiced against Muggles. This caused quite a bit of tension with both the Greengrasses and Malfoy's parents. Even after the events of the last war with Voldemort, the Malfoys weren't accepting of Astoria's views. Her being a Greengrass, one of the oldest pure blood families known, probably only disappointed them further. Astoria was also the victim of an old family curse that made childbirth extra difficult and painful. After her son Scorpius was born, Astoria only lived until the start of her son's third year at Hogwarts. Her death left both Draco and Scorpius heartbroken.
1: Yeah. Another really interesting fact that, I don't know why was so shocking to me, considering the pure bloodlines had to be all connected and intertwined somehow, is that Draco's actually distantly related to Harry and Ron, So I knew he was distantly related to Ron, but I never really thought about Harry. Yeah. But like, that's crazy, right? I I don't know. I guess it isn't really, but it kind of is to me. I don't know. Within the British wizarding community, there was a group of families called the Sacred 28. These families had managed to remain entirely pureblood as of the 1930s. In other words, no muggle-born wizards or witches had married into the family by that time. Many, but not all of these families, prided themselves on blood purity and went so far as to resort in breeding to maintain the, the supposed pure blood status. These families included Malfoys, Averys, Blacks, Lestrange, Gaunt, and Greengrass, among others. So, Potters and Weasleys as well, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also included families like the Longbottoms, too. I mean, there are so many pureblood families you don't even think about. Harry Potter's family on his dad's side is also pureblood and not considered one of the sacred 28 for their very progressive views about muggles over several generations. It stated several times in the books, especially in Order of the Phoenix, that the remaining pureblood families are all interrelated somehow. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Another fact is that Tom Felton auditioned for multiple Potter roles. He actually auditioned for the parts of Harry and Ron during the (laughs) casting process for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Only after that was he asked to read for Draco Malfoy, and his destiny to be the handsome, spoiled bully revealed. Felton had reportedly not read the Harry Potter books at all before the casting process, but he was undoubtedly one of the most successful casting choices the production made. Felton has described the early stages of the Harry Potter casting process on several occasions. It seems he, like many of the young actors who auditioned, read for multiple roles, and that there were thousands of children considered for each of the parts. He also claims that on his very first day of auditioning, while thousands of kids were coming in and out, he and Emma Watson auditioned together. Then, of course, they both got their famous parts. Jermaine fans would surely claim it's no coincidence.
1: You know, if you think Dreary is bad, Dramini is worse. (laughs) I I really don't understand the origins of that one. I'll be honest. No. I guess you can kind of see Drarry with the obsession that Harry had with him in Half-Blood Prince, but the Dramini, it makes no sense.
0: I kind of get the Dramini just with like, this goes back to like sexist culture when people will tell you, oh, He's only mean to you because he likes you. He's only chasing you on the playground because he likes you. He's only pulling your hair because he likes you. People, you know, if you believe that sort of ideal, may think that Draco hates Hermione so much because he actually likes her, which I don't buy, but I can see where it stems from.
1: Yeah. Let's end with a cute and really weird fan theory. I say cute because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't I don't get it, but... All right, so Draco Malfoy might be a werewolf. What? <laughs> the mystery aspect that J.K. Rowling deliberately bakes into the engagement of the books has fed this tendency among fans to create random fan theories. One of the most random.
0: That's how this is actually not cute. Random. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs>
1: One of the more prevalent theories about Draco Malfoy pertains to a significant change of character in the Half-Blood Prince and Deathly (laughs) Hallows. According to the theory, the notorious werewolf Greyback bit Draco between books 5 and 6 as part of the Malfoy's... (laughs) Malfoy's punishment from Voldemort. This supposedly explains his particularly sickly demeanor during his sixth year as well as several references to Greyback and Werewolves in the connection with Malfoy throughout the last two books.
0: I cannot. I mean, I love whoever made this, but
1: even after all the books and movies were released, with no apparent payoff for the theory, many fans (laughs) still bought into it. Rowling officially denied the theory on Twitter in October 2015, and also if you're counting first child, it doesn't show in his personal health or public life. But <laughs> Okay. No, he was just literally being eaten up inside with guilt and confusion and
0: Yeah, this person who made this clearly is a Draco fan and wanted to find some other reason why he was presenting himself in the way that he was in Apple Prince. No, he had extreme anxiety. That's <laughs> that's why he looked like that. He's either in a kill or be killed mentality, so, oh you know, God. he's in a constant state of having to shit himself 24-7. <laughs> I don't think it's
1: because he is a werewolf,
0: Jacob anyways...
1: Oh my gosh, he's stressed out. He looks terrible. He's probably a werewolf. No, he is just in
0: way over his head and made a promise to the Dark Obviously, they mentioned Faneer Greyback a couple times. I mean, I don't think that was just dropped in there randomly (laughs) just to introduce a character. This has to connect somehow. Oh my. Yeah, anyways. Uh, All right,
1: I think we should just leave with that. So yeah, you think Draco Malfoy's a werewolf? No, I don't. No. So we'll probably
0: have much more to say about draco in the next coming episodes when we continue our deep dive
1: into half blood Prince. yeah all right as always you can find us at hp half drunk on instagram and twitter and harry potter and the half drunk podcast on facebook
0: yep and you can find our podcast anywhere you listen to a podcast apple Podcasts, spotify all the good stuff Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Leave us a five-star rating or a review or both. And yeah. Have a good week. Cheers.
1: Mischief managed.